Welcome to The Source from the ATA, conversations about telehealth and virtual care from the thought leaders, experts, and visionaries who are working to change the way the world thinks about healthcare. Hello, my name is Joe Kavidar, the president of ATA, and I'm honored to serve as the program chair for the ATA annual conference. This is a critical time in our history, and there's no better time than now to prepare for the future of healthcare that will most certainly include telehealth, and there's no better organization than ATA to convene our industry, hospital systems and healthcare professionals, telehealth solutions providers, payers, investors, government officials, and other stakeholders, and move adoption forward. And it's really in that context that I am so thrilled today to welcome to our podcast, Dr. Ali Parsa, who is the CEO of Babylon. Ali is a British-Iranian healthcare entrepreneur and engineer, and really a revolutionary uh, in artificial intelligence and digital health, uh, as we will learn when we talk more about Babylon. Babylon's mission is to put an accessible and affordable health service in the hands of every person on earth, giving people 24 by 7 access to affordable, holistic health services. With over 3 million users, Babylon is transforming the way healthcare works across Europe, North America, Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Before Babylon, Ali created Circle, which became Europe's largest partnership of clinicians, for which the Independent Healthcare Awards presented Dr. Parsa with the with an Entrepreneurial Achievement Award. He was given the Royal Award for the Young Entrepreneur of the Year for founding his first business, V&G, and more recently, he was listed in the Times 100 People to Watch. His list of accomplishments goes on and on, and I don't have time to mention them all, but I am really thrilled to begin this discussion. Ali, thank you so much for your support of the ATA and for joining the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me, Joe. We appreciate your membership and leadership in the field and for agreeing to present at our upcoming virtual conference, which uh, is June 22 through the 26th. We're looking forward to your fireside chat with uh, our CEO, Anmon Johnson, on Thursday morning. So let's get right into it. Uh, Babylon has made a remarkable impact on healthcare, just remarkable. Can you tell us a bit about your business philosophy and vision, especially in light of the COVID-19 pandemic? Um. That's very kind of you, Joe. Uh, I I think that you summed it up when you said, can you make healthcare accessible, affordable, put it in the hands of every human being on earth? And you and I know and have chatted about this before. This $10 trillion industry we have today, healthcare, really serves only half of the world population. 50% of human beings, uh, people just like you and I, who have the same feelings as you and I, have the same connections, the same loves, they have no access to healthcare. And if you actually look how many people have access to hospitals, five out of the seven billion of the world's population have no access to hospitals, to any kind of surgery. So when we created Babylon, we said, can you give most of the healthcare most people need to them with whatever it is that we can we have today. Can we bring technology, the best of technology and human ingenuity to, to put this together? And frankly, I used to be a physicist. 
I wasn't a very good physicist, but one thing I learned in physics was that if you uh, reduce each problem to its smallest components, each of those components are a lot easier to solve than the entire problem as a whole. So we turned back and said, look, if we give most of the healthcare most people need on devices most of them already have, that is already hugely increasing the accessibility of healthcare. And today, as you and I know, uh, not much good came out of COVID-19, but one good thing that came out is the progress that it has made in our culture of using telemedicine or remote delivery of healthcare. The problem is there is no accessibility without affordability. And if you look at where the costs in healthcare are, on one hand, they are in clinicians, nurses, doctors, uh, healthcare executives. These are among the rarest and relatively most expensive assets of each country. And on the other hand, if you cut it by diseases, they're in predictable, preventable diseases. So what we did in Babylon was to say, if you truly want to make healthcare accessible, and therefore you have to make it affordable, to truly make it affordable, you have to automate, on one hand, as much as possible what humans do, so our doctors, nurses can focus on the most complex things that machine can just not do, and therefore reach more of the population of the world that we are not reaching now. And on the other hand, we need to monitor people in order to see their problems faster than the symptoms normally occur. And by the combination of two, automation on one hand and prediction on the other, we should be able to make healthcare more affordable and therefore reach more people. So you ask about the philosophy behind Babylon. That was our founding philosophy. How much we have succeeded to get there. I think, frankly, we're just in day one. We've just begun. This is a long-term journey, and it will be naive to think that we have even began to put a significant dent into the problem. That's wonderful. And, and uh, just uh, you, you are, as, as you know, and you mentioned we, we've talked before, but you're singing from uh, a song sheet that I'm so pleased to, to have you singing from, this idea that automation needs to be a critical part of our future. We have already reached a point where our need for healthcare services outstrips our supply of providers if we continue to insist that the only way you can get care is by bringing someone into an office and having a one-to-one interaction with them. Even a one-to-one video interaction is, is not uh, extending us uh, enough. And we've gotten to a point with remote care now that we've got telehealth into everyone's lexicon and they think, well, I know what that is. It's a video visit. And the next phase is really about uh, companies like Babylon. And, and uh, it's, it's so exciting to see the traction you've gotten. Last month, Babylon invested $30 million in consumer health engagement company Higgy. The company's smart health stations are already located throughout North America and will integrate Babylon's first digital healthcare making care more accessible and affordable. Babylon was already offering its services through an, its app to members of certain health plans in states like New York and California. Can you tell us a bit about how this investment is going to impact Babylon and, and more importantly, how it's going to impact consumers and patients in the U.S.? If you go back to what we were talking about, which is how do you make healthcare accessible, affordable, put it in the hands of everybody? very important part of that patient journey 
is the diagnostics, right? Uh, you talk to a doctor, fine. You can you can talk to artificial intelligence even, who could just point you, triage you to the right response. Uh, fascinatingly, right now, sixty three percent of our patients will actually follow the the AI's recommendation that maybe they shouldn't talk to a doctor, but instead they should talk to a pharmacist or a nurse or a physiotherapist. And they make their appointment accordingly. But often those professionals, including doctors, need to do some tests. It could be as simple as your blood pressure. It could be as complicated as things that you have to go to a a hospital for. One thing we do know is that the progress of the world, the direction of progress in the world, it's always from complex to simple. So if you look at the invention of telephone, for instance, there used to be, and I'm old enough and ugly enough to remember the time that I had to, in my own little town, book a time at the phone house, at the telegraph house, as it was called, but it was really phones, to go and talk to my grandparents who were in a different city, and we had a slot to talk to each other. That eventually went to the neighborhoods. We had phone booths, eventually came to the homes, and now it's connected, is in our pockets. And if you look at my children, it's part of their anatomy. uh, And and I think the same direction will be true for diagnostics. And the important role Higgy plays, and what we are excited about Higgy, is that it, it is part of that chain that takes diagnostics from uh, hospitals into the neighborhood before they get simplified to go into people's homes and mobile phones. And for us, therefore, helping Higgy to make diagnostics as affordable and accessible as possible for every American, and hopefully we can help them get to other countries, was was an important part of the same strategic uh, roadmap we have for our patients' journey. Yes, yes, really interesting. The, the whole, I completely agree that home diagnostics is going to be a critical next step and or bringing people closer to diagnostics uh, and, and the way you mapped out the journey from, uh, because I grew up with a uh, phone party line in Barry, Vermont. And uh, when we got on the phone, maybe our neighbor was talking, we had to wait for them to finish. So completely uh, have followed that, that uh, journey as you described it. So speaking of the U.S. market, Babylon also just announced that Mount Sinai Health Partners provider network will offer its digital healthcare service to millions of insured New Yorkers in the five boroughs and beyond, including live chat with real Babylon team members, symptom logging, and virtual doctor consultations related to COVID-19. In the UK, the number of individuals using the company's app grew by 140,000 in the start of the pandemic, with 31,000 using the COVID-19 symptom checker. You're entering the U.S. market at a time when telehealth services are taking off. So tell us your expectations of where you want to be and how the company's going to do in the U.S. In the U.S., which is the largest health market, if you can use the word market for healthcare, we had to think long and hard about what do we do that is complementary to the great work that others are doing. As you know, Uh, American Telehealth Association has some wonderful members, companies, who have done a fantastic work in bringing uh, the concept of telemedicine to the United States. 
So for us to just come in and do what they did just didn't make any sense. We started looking into the U.S. from the lens of what can we do that is complementary so we become people's partners as opposed to competitors. And what we are good at is looking after the patient's end-to-end need. That's what we had to do in UK, where we are your family physician. So we are not the provider of uh, um, incidental uh, health. We are your primary care physician, and we look after everything you do, and we concierge you into the system, we bring you back, we provide you with a holistic care. And when we came to US, we came with the same concept. We can as easily partner with a hospital like Mount Sinai, where we can become their entry point into the system, help them work with their existing primary care network, but also add to that primary care network, not just to do urgent care, but to do proper primary care. Uh, but, But as equally that we can work with another telemedicine provider who provides urgent care and uh, uh, help them uh, uh, have a more end-to-end uh, solution. Uh, but but uh, this is a uh, plan in the making. Uh, we are an organization of extreme experimentation. We try many different things to find out where the best fit is. And once we figured it out, we double down on it uh, long and heavy. And in the United States, uh, one thing is for sure, we are very serious about the U.S. I'm moving into the U.S. Uh, myself and many of our leaders are already there or being recruited there or moving there. Um, U.S. and Asia are our two uh, significant new markets, and we are very serious about coming there but doing so in partnership with the existing system, the system doesn't need more providers of the same thing. Uh, There's no point in that. That's a zero-sum game. It needs people who can add to the offering and enhance the offering of the existing system. And that's our philosophy. Well, there you have it. For our listeners, you're not only getting a glimpse into one of the most innovative healthcare companies on the planet, but a, a, a nice, very nice clinic tutorial on business strategy. We really appreciate that. That was so well stated. Um, now, I'm going to turn to something that's a, a bit more delicate as we close out and um, just mention that COVID-19 has been a game changer for telehealth. Of course, putting virtual care in the spotlight, I mentioned that earlier. But Sadly, and uh, we're so uh, sorry for your loss, you personally impacted losing your father to the virus. Can you just say a little bit, if you're comfortable, how that's inspired you and what you see for the future of healthcare delivery following the pandemic? How can we turn this awful, awful thing into uh, something we're proud of? That's so kind of you, Joe. You're absolutely right. I lost my father. He was, in his, he was very healthy, but in his early 90s. And that is one of the tragedies of this disease, is as it takes a generation of our elder members, people sometimes say, well, they were in their 80s or 90s. But, you know, he was as full of life in his his 90s as he was in his 40s or 50s. Uh, Last year, this time, we would do 20 kilometers a day trekking with each other in China the year before in Japan. Uh, And he survived revolutions, he survived exiles, he survived political internment, and yet this this dreadful virus took him. Um, and he wasn't just my father, he was my best friend, he was my mentor, I spoke to him every day. 
So therefore, his loss is, is a huge loss because none of us know how to deal with the loss of a parent. From the day we opened our eyes and we gained consciousness, they were with us. So the loss, I'm sure everybody among the listeners who lost the parent will know how, what a horrible feeling it is. The last day that he was leaving into ICU, I called him and said, uh, Dad, kids want to talk to you. My children wanted to talk to him and just wish him good luck. And in his eternal optimism, he said that he will fight this. And my, and my children had asked him to promise he'll come back. And he told them the story, or I had told them the story, that when I was leaving my country, uh, I was a refugee, so I was leaving in an illegal manner and uh, through walking through the border. And he couldn't come with me, and the smuggler wouldn't let him hug me. And I was 16. And he held my hand really hard and said, promise to me that you stay alive until you and I talk again. Uh, and obviously at 16, you don't understand what it feels for a father or a parent to let go of their child. So I did. And as he was going into ICU, I asked him for that promise back. And I reminded him. And he said he will do everything between his power to come back. And I'm sure he did. Do, well, gave it all the fight. But he did say something to my children, or my children reminded him, But and, and then he did say something to my children. And that was, it doesn't really matter what happens to him. They should not forget the price humanity has paid. And one thing they should promise themselves is that their generation should not make the mistakes our generation made. And they shouldn't come back to where we left off. But we should come out of this isolation, not doing what we used to do, but rethinking everything from fresh. And if we take that one single lesson out, let's say we had time out, we sat in our homes for three months, we were forced to do things differently, which was better for our planet, was worse for our social interactions, but was better for more efficient way of doing things. And let's just pick up the best of what we used to have and go back to that, but do not make the mistakes we used to make and take advantage of what we've done and do things differently. This would be, we will look back at history and say all the sacrifices and losses we made was not in vain. And if we miss this opportunity, then my golly, what a price we paid just to go back to where we were. Uh, well, my, uh, my boss, uh, our chief clinical officer, Greg Meyer, has uh, something he says whenever we talk about the virus. You said it on other occasions as well, but the, the quote is, uh, statistics are patients with the tears wiped off. So we appreciate your mm -hmm. very personal story and sharing it with us. And thank you for your time today and for all of your insights. Uh, I really, really look forward to your chat with Anne Mon Johnson at ATA 2020. I so wish we could uh, uh, be together in the same room for that, but we will in time be together, I'm sure. Ali will be one of our featured speakers at the American Telemedicine Association's annual conference this year, taking place virtually June 22 through the 26th. I encourage each of you to block the time on your calendar. We have a jam-packed agenda with over 200 speakers, 75-plus sessions, an interactive exhibit experience, networking opportunities, and a research track, including poster sessions offering CME. For more information or to register, go to the website gotelehealth.org. Thanks for listening to The Source from the ATA. 
We want to hear from you. What topics should we cover? Who would you like to hear from? To share your comments and suggestions, and for more information about the ATA, telehealth, and virtual care, please visit our website, americantelemed.org, and our American Telemed accounts on LinkedIn and Twitter. Finally, please be sure to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast on your favorite platforms. It really makes a difference. Copyright 2020 ATA. All rights reserved.